Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Jonathan Dog McKenzie. <laughs> it is JJ Ball the Bullard. Hello. Yeah, hello there, right? Yeah. And look who it is, a special guest, a special milky treat for all of us here, Brits. We can see it's a real life German. It's our Gordon Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's? Yeah, me Gates is good. Yes, they are. <laughs> Silky smooth silver gates. Here to talk about football today uh, with us in the gang. Brighton, of course, beating Arsenal. Is it funny? It is funny, but is it really funny? We'll find out later. It is funny. Now, will Man City win the league every year until Guardiola leaves? I don't know. But again, we'll probably find, we won't find out for sure here today, but we will find out what JJ Bull thinks about that. And what else? Some really quite graphic analogies between Southampton's relegation yes, and carving up of dead animals. Okay, there was a discussion of dead animals, <laughs> the, the innards of a body... Of an animal body. I thought it was mostly a person you were talking about. Yeah, was it a person? that was how I felt. Were there people in there? Things. Well, no, yeah. all of the animals. I didn't hear have... animals at all. You were mostly talking about a person. A people? I think I said animal a couple of times. I don't think you said anything. And I, I just think you said animal without really meaning it. Yeah, we're, Humans we're all are animals. Do animals have gallbladders? Uh, yeah. Do they? Pretty sure. Humans have gallbladders and they're animals. Yeah, I mean, we're all... Ma- I think mammals have gallbladders. Does a leopard have a gallbladder? Does a leopard have a gallbladder, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> What well, does he'll, the he'll tell us do? The gallbladder the, produces. It does nothing. It just it, produ- it, does, have a it produces a sort of acid to help uh, reduce yeah. the uh, bile. Is that right? Bile. bile. It produces bile to help the digestive system. You and these, these actually things need actually it. Did digest. So I used to have this little colored toy. Me and my sisters used to have these little colored toys. And one was a leopard, this lovely little cute thing. And you squeeze its belly, and it would go, "Rar! I'm a leopard." <laughs> <laughs> I always think about that. I oh, that's that. true. Seb's here. Can we get a little Rochelle or <laughs> There he goes. There he goes. Well, cows have four stomachs. Anyway, yeah, we'll true. wait to Do they have from... four gallbladders? I don't know. We'll find out from Steve when we get to the end of the podcast. And that's right. Of course, Steve may be taking a little longer than he normally would to look this up because he did fall <laughs> off his chair halfway through the show. And we were a bit worried for a second that he might have seriously hurt himself. But he didn't. We talk about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, but with Land Rovers. So, Joe Busquets... Leaving Barcelona, uh, we whip through the second legs of uh, the Men's Champions League semi-finals. And, of course, we discuss John's visit to Wembley to watch the uh, the uh, promotion playoff final uh, where Notts County joined Wrexham in promotion from the National League. There we go. Have you found it? Leopards have gallbladders. They do. Yes. Wow, you're so excited to find what? that. Yeah. It was the perfect, just perfect timing, wasn't it? Yeah. It's good that we go. They do have gallbladders, yeah? Do you want to see a picture of one? A leopard's gallbladder? Yeah. A specifically a leopard's gallbladder? Yes. That's on an ultrasound. That's a, that's a picture of an ultrasound. How really, have they managed it? to ultrasound a leopard? <laughs> that has to be really quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I'm not sure how they did it. Coming through the jungle, you've got all those equipment like... <laughs> 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 you alongside it and hold it on. You have to put the jelly stuff on them, don't you? Why, I oughta... Yeah. yeah, you, uh, you yeah. have to put the jelly on the leopard. How'd you catch it? It's all jelly. Oh, no. 
<laughs> I don't know about the techniques, but uh, knowing that a leopard uh, is a notoriously tough judge of character, I expect that the doctor must have been ultrasound. <laughs> That's the worst joke I think I've ever heard. Well, on that note, let me tell you about the athletic. <laughs> <laughs> Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you won't find that many jokes, because to be honest, I would say in the, <laughs> of the whole sort of staff of writers here, there's four or five who are genuinely funny, and the rest, they're not funny people. They're mm. not. But you know what they make up for? How they make up for a lack of funniness? Excellent writing. Rigorous journalism. They really do. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO when you're not in the mood to laugh. Now, uh, I will leave you today in... <laughs> what? The jelly hands of a leopard. In the jelly hands... Pause. And the ultrasound embrace. And the ultrasound embrace of... Uh, a, le- a leopard's gallbladder, of, surely, right? Of a leopard's gallbladder. Covered in jelly... <laughs> Jellied bladder. Chasing it through the jungle <laughs> with a machine. And a Land Rover. <laughs> Where else to begin, of course, other than Arsenal nil? Three Brighton and Hove Albion. Now that's funny, isn't it? Because uh, <laughs> Steve Hankey looking at me through the glass there, he says, don't do it. Don't make fun of Arsenal fans because it's not their fault, is it? It's not their fault. It's their team's fault because they bottled it. Yeah, not true. Now we're going to discuss here today, was it a bottle? Was it not? I think that's an interesting question. One that will perhaps haunt all of those players and the fans <laughs> indeed for the rest of time. Because, of course, they did lose 3-0 to Brighton. And that's funny. But is it all funny? Yeah? We're going to find out. What do you think? I think, <laughs> I think it's very much not funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. What do you think, Seb? He's a Spurs fan. He thinks it's funny. Hey, as a Spurs fan, I don't like the term bottled. No. I reject it. I feel like Fair it's enough. a social media term used to antagonise people. I think that's true. Also, it seems to... It's a little bit disingenuous because it, it ignores the, the era that we're currently in, the massive Paramount City, the ability to compete over multiple different competitions over a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, the strong bench, the ability to survive injuries, the ability to yeah. field an Erling Haaland throughout most of the season. The ability to get anywhere near with uh, such thin depth. You know what I think also is I, City have created a standard in the Premier League which is so high, so high, so high that to be able to match it for any length of time is going to fracture most teams. For sure. In fact, if you look at Liverpool, who I think I don't think it's controversial to say were probably well beyond where Arsenal currently are or you know, uh, were further on their ascent mm-hmm. than Arsenal currently are. Um, look what it did to them. Look what three years of chasing City did to them. True. Uh, it's it's difficult. It's not it's not the nineties anymore. It's not the two thousands. City are probably going to probably going to pass a ninety point threshold, and that's going to be quite an average accomplishment for them. Yes, which is the context. Uh, so, so that's what, an extraordinary standard. So what you're saying is it is funny. I uh, in private in my lighter moments when I'm by myself, I do find it funny. I think this is when a key I, question, though, and yeah. I, I, obviously I, I start the podcast in jest asking yes. this. But to be honest, if we're all honest with ourselves here, this is the way that a majority of football fans engage with it. Yeah. And the, the, the question this week is, 
is it funny or not? And in the, you've just set out a case for it really not being funny and actually kind of being sort of scary. Because, no, because we've, uh, as, a, as a fan base, Tottenham have suffered much the same thing. Mm. When Tottenham finished second, when Tottenham finished third, and they competed with teams who outspent them, it was hilarious to everybody when they failed yeah. because that's the nature of fandom. It's you about... You to Leicester. Yeah, but it's... didn't outspend you. Come on, you're, you're really... Okay, but then Milking it's, the it's, narrative. Leicester's fair enough, but then um, lost out to Chelsea, or Spurs have spent the majority of the kind of the the post millennium uh, Premier League era competing with teams that have a wage spend which is two or three times them um, what they're able to spend. Uh, forgetting also what they're able to or what they're willing, probably it's the better better word to spend um, recruiting players in the first place. And so the idea that competing and then failing to cross the line when you do. I think I think overall, though, what you're saying is uh, it's you, annoying. You empathise. It's annoying to be told you're bottling it when actually, yeah. if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd have greatly enjoyed the season because I've seen my team compete in a way they haven't done for a really long time. Yes. For a lot of Arsenal fans, if you're a 20 year old Arsenal fan, you, you probably haven't seen a season like this, really. I mean, well, you, you probably definitely haven't. Well, no, you'd have been alive, but you wouldn't have been cognizant of what yeah. it meant. You were just a tiny baby. And so what happens is you have all these good moments. I think of. I know the Reese Nelson goal against Bournemouth mm. and uh, some of the best performances. They were fantastic at White Hart Lane when they batted Spurs. They were yeah. great. And so what, what you have is that package of good moments and somebody putting on this big negative bow going bottled it. Yeah. And it's annoying. That is annoying. Lots of yeah. things can be true though, right? Of course. I think all of this is true, but well, they also bottled it. Okay, well, let's, let's investigate more specifically. And, and, and we're going to come to JJ as, as well. Uh, I've got in front of me the list here mm-hmm. of... Uh, of points uh, from the 9th of April when they drew 2-2 with Liverpool at Anfield. Um, and that's not even including when they dropped points against Brentford and Everton. No, of course, there were points ago. dropped prior to that. They weren't a perfect team before that. But this is really the, the, the more recent s- spat from which they took nine points from a possible 21. Now, included there was obviously the two points dropped against Liverpool, two points at West Ham. Two from a two-goal lead as well. From a two-goal lead. Two points at home to Southampton. They lost away to Man City, which I think is very understandable. And obviously this weekend they lost 3-0 to Brighton. And so that is, uh, well, 12 points dropped within that run. Um, that's a huge swing to happen in such a short space of time. I mean, we're really talking about five or six weeks. Is that what you mean? I mean, bottled or not, like that's, people... the, that's the tag that, that people will apply to it. But is that what you mean? That they, they've, they've let points go there that a, a team yeah. that's challenging and expects to win the title can't lose? There seems to be this narrative that... That if you're going to talk about bottling, you have to talk about the whole context of the season. And you say, well, you know, Arsenal weren't ever expected to challenge against against Man City. And so the fact that they were even able to do that represents actually something that should be celebrated. And that is true. Yeah. But bottling for me is is how you respond in the in the moments when you are in a pole position and you and and how you behave on on the basis of that. And I think it's clear from both those two spells, the one that happened in February as well, where they dropped points against Brentford and, and Everton. Um, and then recently where, it, you know, the, the, the title challenge is just completely eked away from them. And mm-hmm. I think on the one hand, I've heard people say, well, if you look at the amount of points you expect um, Man City to get on average in a season, you look at the amount of points that Arsenal would expect to get in, in, in on average in a season. And you look at the, the run that they've had, actually an eight point gap, which was actually only a five point gap because of a game in hand, mm-hmm. isn't actually that much to throw away. And I, I agree with that. But I, I also feel as though the, you know, all that Arsenal had to do is win games against Everton and win games against Brentford, yeah. win games against West Ham, who were who have, have who have been like focusing on Europe, win games against Southampton, who could barely beat anyone recently. Who've been relegated. If you can't win those games, then 
Okay, and okay, you will drop the occasional point against a team like that. And this season, Man City have done that. Man City have dropped points to Nottingham Forest and yeah, um, and, and Everton as well. And the, the, for me, that the, the the problem is is the aggregation of those games together. It's, it's that they've, they've come in in sort of spells where it seems as though they've yes. they've actually made and, it harder for themselves. They, it's also happened during a spell when Man City have won eleven Premier League games in a row. Yeah, and and we know that Man City are going to do that. They do that at the end of seasons. They they pick up momentum and they and they go for it. But I, I think once you've had that first half of the season that Arsenal had, which is a 50-point first half of the season, that's an incredible first half of the season. And you put yourself in a really good position to then, you know, you don't have to, you only have to be, I don't know what the point gap was at that point, but you only have to be that mm. amount of points better than Man City. And, and they and they weren't. And so it, to, to me, it's, it's, not, it's not, and it's not even like they've just, you know, narrowly missed out to Man City now. It's going to be, it will end up being like, seven or eight points yeah right. which is a fair old gap uh, what do you think the bullet about <clears throat> I mean the did, did you listen to any of the conversation uh, yeah lots of it yeah. yeah just any any thoughts you can add uh, I think that uh, yeah exactly what John says that they didn't win games they should have won they had the advantage they had the lead I think you can point to things like there's that game against Liverpool where they say that the the, the flaring point was when Granite Xhaka had a little dig at Alexander Arnold and the Anfield crowd suddenly got all nuts and that's when they started to lose it. And you can see that's maybe pressure. But then they've clearly missed um, individual players. Like Saliba's made a big difference to their defence. The defence is a really important part of how yeah. you play. Their numbers have not been as good, I think, post-World Cup as they were before. Was that right? I think. Um, and so that's just kind of what happened. And then they've made little mistakes here and there. And like Ramsdale's looked not quite as sturdy the last few weeks. That He's could had a be pressure. Couple of weeks, isn't he, Ramsdale? It could just be yeah. pressure. Like you don't know what it's like to compete at that level. Mm-hmm. And you're competing against um, one of the greatest, if not the best, Premier League side that's ever existed. But as for this thing where like City are going to dominate the league forever, like Man United used to do that. It was the same thing. Like they used to, like those of us who grew up in the 90s, all of us. Do you remember? It was always Man United. They won everything. It's like, this is an absolutely pointless league. It's always Man United. Could they ever win five in six? They, so it starts they? off, they go, Man United. So it starts in 1993 when football was invented. You had Man United, Man United after that. I Blackburn, randomly. Yeah. 92, yeah, but the season finished in 1993. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, so, so they won four of the first five. Yeah. Then they won. So then Arsenal won after that, ninety-seven, uh, ninety-eight, and then you had Man United won three in a row. Then Arsenal, then Man United, then Arsenal, then Chelsea, because that's when the Abramovich money comes in. And everyone's like, "Oh, Chelsea are going to ruin it." Two seasons of that. Then Man United three times in a row. Mm-hmm. It was all Man United. It's the same. It's it's, it's just because Pep Guardiola has done an incredible job with that Man City team. Yes. Do you think p- when Pep leaves, they won't dominate? Yes, I think that's exactly what will happen. It'll change completely. They'll get people in who will do well with them. They'll, they have great players, but look at the players they've signed. They weren't all absolute superstars. They weren't signing Galacticos, you know, like Real Madrid have done in the past. They signed players that suit the system, that are just trying to get to that next level. Pep makes them better, and they work in a system that's very, uh, it works very well right now. But again, as tactics evolve and teams will change, that will then turn mm-hmm. something else later on. Like Liverpool, when they were pushing City, when they won the league during the uh, pandemic time, didn't they? Uh, were unbelievable, like the best I've ever seen Liverpool, one of the best teams I've ever watched, that Jurgen Klopp team. But it's maybe unsustainable because of just the relentless amount of energy they want to use. And yes, they're competing against City, but I mean, United were against the best ever Arsenal going all the time. And that was one of the things they had. Then they had Mourinho's Chelsea to go against. That was really difficult. Man United didn't manage that two years in a row. Then they came back. Once Alex Ferguson goes, it falls apart. I think we'll see something very similar at Man City. They won't go the way that Man United did. I'm not saying that. But they'll suddenly be the winning league one season or two seasons in a row. Then there'll be a break. And so well, how, how far are this Arsenal team off those 
historic teams that you're referencing there? You know, Mourinho's Chelsea, uh, the Arsenal <clears throat> Invincibles. Are we? I mean, I guess it depends on what they do next season. But do you think there's a scenario where we look back and think of them as a team like that, or are they not there? I think Arsenal have like I think we all know they're well ahead of schedule because they're not meant to be where they are now. So if they'd won it, it would have been an incredible achievement to have done it. So they're at the point now where they want to be in the Champions League. That is part of the plan. And I think comparing it to how Klopp transformed Liverpool, it took him a good few years, but three, four years before they were 20. And they did that by signing really key players and then developing what they were working on, getting better at it. People might, I think other teams, I mean, John were talking about it a bit, a bit earlier, teams might have figured out what Arsenal do now and so they know how to stop it. But Arsenal maybe run out of that energy and intensity and their key player, the equivalent of Van Dijk is Saliba. So missing out on that in this stage of the season is really important. Tommy Yasu as well, losing him. Cause I, I was yeah, just loads of depth, yeah. You're thinking Spatman. like you have the option to, to to shut down a winger with a fullback who's kind of defensively orientated. When that goes, you've got a kind of imperfect solution in that in that area. And that feels like, that kind of feels a little bit typical of where the Arsenal squad is at the moment. Just it's, missing it's one or two. There's more size that though, because they do have good players come in. Like Zinchenko's yeah. a big loss, right? You want yeah. to play that inside midfielder uh, mm-hmm. fullback slot that is everywhere. Um but Tierney's a great left back, so then you get something else out of that. You can change it. Make I don't it... know if he's a great left back. He's he's quite he's a good. He's a great left back. He, he's, he's 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 a, a solid seven out of ten Premier League player. He's... He'll play for Newcastle next season and be unbelievable. Nathan Ake, people would have described of, as as being a worse player yeah, than, than Kieran Tierney, and this mm. is this is part of the problem. Is it's always hard to judge what level players are at when you know a player's quality emerges from the system that they're being played in, and that's why Pep Guardiola is is mm. so good because he is able to bring in these players who people think of as being lesser get more quality out of them because the system works for them and then what ends up happening inevitably is we end up with a system where people say well you know Guardiola has all of the best players but actually what's happened is, is that Pep Guardiola has the best system yeah. he's yeah. brought the players in and it brings more out and of them and that's why it, you're such a, a staunch proponent of uh, communism isn't it? that's <laughs> do you, right it's do you a, not think that like stability is a massive factor here because in communism you, I agree in, in communism but also Manchester City because <laughs> okay like, both yeah with these with these Fun, with, with clubs in that sort of um, stratosphere of finance before, what you typically expect is high turnover, both of players and coaches, because yeah. there's too many egos. So you think of PSG, for instance. I think what City have done really well, apart from talent ID, is the type of characters who they've who they brought in yeah. have aided that stability. No, you don't. Well, they've of, kept it about the fatherland. They've not made it about. Well, the, I wasn't uh, going to go towards that. No, but right. I, I was going to say <laughs> that one of the reasons why City have become so formidable is because. Guardiola has been there for such a long time, whereas originally you thought that'll last three years in yeah. the same way that Chelsea's uh, Mourinho's Chelsea did or um, anyone at PSG can only really last 18 months because um, emotionally it's just far too much of a grind to yeah. deal with that many egos in the same place. City have found this balance between, like John says, players who can come in and be stars who understand that their stardom is a little bit dependent on their environment. Mm. And so as a result, don't agitate for more. And obviously there's a financial aspect to that, but that's why it's so difficult because they don't have these peaks and troughs. We're talking about 90, 90 Premier League points in a season being eh, kind of average, yeah. you know, because we know that they, they're capable of 101. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a very high bar, first of all, to get to. But then if their down years are 85 points to 90, well, you don't really capitalise on that so much. Sure. The, the left-back position for Man City is a really interesting example of this, right? Because they start off the season with Raul Cancelo playing at left-back. Everyone's like, you know, one of the best left-backs in the world. He leaves for Bayern Munich midway through the season and they, they because they've been playing Nathan Ake is this sort of, in this sort of weird hybrid role between a, an outside centre-back and a full-back. Uh, Nathan Ake gets injured and they end up moving across Manuel Akanji to the other side. Manuel Akanji was playing on the left-hand side of their defence against Real Madrid in, 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 the, in the Bernabeu. Now, mm. like, we, 
we, we can have this conversation about Arsenal all we want and say, oh, you know, they've not got Zinchenko, they've only got Kieran Tierney. But Man City went from losing Joao Cancelo to having Nathan Aki, who had a, a, a really good season, but no one really expected that of him, to, to now Manuel Akanji, who people thought was washed when he was at, at, at Borussia Dortmund. So I think that it, the, the context does change the, the way that we think about what those, what those players are at. And I think mm. that, that's always used as a stick to beat Pep Guardiola because they say, well, he has all of the money and all of the best players. But um, I, I genuinely think that we don't have these conversations about Man City because Pep always manages to get the most out of the players that he has to. He, he ends up having to play. They've yeah. used, the, the, I think, one of the smallest squads this season in, the, in, in, a, in a season where they've been in every competition for for ages you know that it, it, there's a level of impressiveness to it and, and whilst I think that level of impressiveness is you know tarnished by the the undercover undercurrent conversations that you have about it mm. it's still intrinsically impressive what he has done with the things at his disposal the players at his disposal the fact that he can constantly innovate I mean we talked about we talked about Spurs Spurs like had a really nice period under Pochettino got really good didn't actually develop the squad and fell away same sort of happened with Liverpool a little bit recently as well and I think that's that's the thing that that Pochettino uh, that Pep Guardiola is really good at is is constantly innovating constantly bringing players in letting players mm. go like we're going to talk about um Ilkay Gundogan um, and we're gonna the big conversation with me. He's 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 got he's got two he's got two really good goals in in the game against Everton. Now everyone's saying should should City keep him on? They have an option to trigger a year. He did also contract. score uh, two goals last weekend and last against, year. I think was against his Leeds, yes, goal scoring season. No, but the, the point I'm making here is that. Yeah. What will probably happen is that City will have a very clear idea of what context they want sure, to keep sure, him sure. in, and if he doesn't fit that, they'll move him that on. The, the, the perspective that fans would normally take of football and footballers is this player is good or this player is not good, and that's not how Pep Guardiola yeah. would look at it. Yeah. I think I don't think he'll have been impacted by Gundogan scoring two goals in the in the, in the uh, four goals in the last two games sure. to then go well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep I'm going to change all of the plans that we've had, keep him in. Sure. Actually, what will probably happen is he will still move on if he doesn't agree to fit into the system that that, that yeah, City yeah, have, yeah. And, and then bring someone else in. Right? Can I be contrarian and describe that as a little bit of a privilege too? Just because like the opportunity to say, well, you're out of contract, we don't need to sell you. As a, from a city perspective, we sell you when we want to, or we let you go when we want to, because we don't need the resale value from you. So you're able to deal with the succession um, planning in a much more precise way. To say, what's a good example? Right, the Kane situation at Spurs. If Kane was a Manchester City player heading into his final year of the contract, he'd be like, oh, fine, let him go for free. Spurs have to potentially take a um, a self defeating position this summer or next summer because financially that's what they're. That's what they that's what they need to do to compete or reload in a way that might allow them to compete in two or three years' time. So it's kind of I think they're kind of separate conversations. On the one hand, lots of good decisions. Guardiola's management of the squad and his club has it's, been excellent. It's, it's worth dropping in here though, Seb, that um in the summer Akanji was signed for seventeen and a half million. Hundred percent. Right. I mean it's not it's not like I, I I don't seek to defend a team that currently has hundreds of charges against them, right? But my point is, in terms of like the actual uh, management of of the squad, it's not I like every player agree. has been brought in for it, 100, it is, 100 mil. No, absolutely. And the city have never done this. They've never spent the kind of the 150 million pound transfer fee. They've actually done it in much smaller chunks, just in volume. And actually, the, yeah. the concentration of their spending was actually probably towards the beginning, relative to what the sure. game was at the time. But then both things can be true. Like their talent is great. Their um, integration of players is very, very good. They have very few failures. And yet at the same time, they can afford to have the failures, which is, a you know, which creates, I would imagine, hesitancy in other clubs that City don't necessarily have to worry about. And what you're saying is it is funny. 
that's the thing, right? We're back to Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, subjectively, you're a funny guy, JJ. He's a funny guy. It's funny subjectively. Yes. Right? And can you explain more about that? It's funny because Arsenal fans got really, really uh, uppity and started being like, oh, you don't believe in Arsenal, you don't think we're yeah, going to do it. all of them. All of them. Every single one. Every last one. Yeah. Especially Steve Hankey. Steve Hankey, the podcast producer. Yeah. Now, this is the thing. Arsenal fans listening to this very unhappy with us right now because it is funny. It is. But the reason we're doing it, it's not because of you. You don't matter to us at all. We don't think about you ever or care about you. Someone we do think and care about is Steve Hankey. And he's been very sad recently. He's in our little WhatsApp group, isn't he? We talk about football at the weekend. Sometimes you'll drop in a little message there. I'm hopeful that maybe Arsenal could do the Winders League. Do you know and what we go, is? shush up, Steve Hankey. Get back in your cave. It's been quite fun to watch Steve break character in the WhatsApp group because yeah. Steve's a very mild man, a polite, friendly person. Yeah. Every he's now very and on again, a level. Big isn't Arsenal uh, fan, though. He is, he is a big Arsenal fan, yeah. but at the Thanks. same time, the, the undulations within the season have caused oh, him to kind of His spike. bias really shows. Well, there have been a few yeah. moments oh, like big that. Time, yeah. Big time, big time, big yeah. time. I think I can tell you exactly why it is funny. Because there's, sort of, there's a bit of like tragedy in it. Is it going to upset Steve? No. Oh. But the thing is, like, so uh, obviously I jest that all Arsenal fans are being jerks about it and being all you know angry and whatever. We all knew that was a joke. Yes, but many people at home will not know that. A lot of what I say is uh, on purpose to be... Uh, I, to wind you up <laughs> I, I don't think the internet would ever take something out of context JJ so don't worry Just sure yeah. so anyway so um, because uh, a lot of Arsenal fans will have been those annoying ones who are like you don't believe in us you don't know anything we know all this we're going to win the league and then there's a lot more very sensible level-headed Arsenal yeah. fans who started to come over a bit towards that oh maybe we maybe oh, we could it's the movement of emotion That's maybe we the could thing. I and you start to you follow football and it's never going to happen again. You've been yeah. stuck post-bangers. Nothing's happening. It, your life becomes slightly worse. Well, those fans at the beginning yeah. of the season, they they that you would say to them, it's a good team this year, isn't it? And they go, oh, yeah, do you think so? It's pretty Thanks, good, yeah, but yeah. we'll never... Your team's good as well. Yeah. And <laughs> well, then we'll halfway never through anything. the season, they'll be like, yeah, my team's Halfway through, they start good, thinking, well, maybe... Maybe there is hope but in my life. they're afraid. In my life could be something else. I could, yeah. I could achieve things if my team can do it. As Boy, a golly gosh! Of, of me and my success. Maybe I could get that job. Maybe I can get the the, the partner yeah. I've always wanted. Maybe that there's a future for me. Yeah. And then they start to think, maybe this is all life is what I wanted it to be. And they start to dream and they they let go of their their ambitions. You know, and they start thinking, well, maybe I can, maybe I can dream. Yeah. And then they uh, draw three all with Southampton. <laughs> in in life. And then they draw Metaphor. two all with West Ham. Yeah. And they were winning. Yeah, and then you're like, uh, so it is. Funny. I regret those things I said. Yeah, no, it's, and then it's like, that's why it's funny because it's it's sort of a, it's a dance <laughs> of human emotion, isn't yeah. it? I believe the Germans have a word for this, right? Is it? Schad, uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. What is it? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Right? That's what it is. You love saying Schadenfreude. I don't think I've ever said Schadenfreude. I've this heard you podcast. say no, not on this podcast, but I've heard you say it in real life. I would say over a hundred times. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's a word I would associate I, I, with you. I cannot remember the last time I, like I used that. I word. believe um, the Germans have a word for this. I think I think I'm getting it right when I say uh, Schadenfreude. Look, Schadenfreude is the most well-known German. I word. I know because you've been saying it for so long. You've brought it here, haven't you? From all the way from Germany, He's popularized over Schadenfreude here to our normal English. No people. one was saying Schadenfreude before I started I, saying. 
saying it's true. It's it weird is. that you've invented a German word and got the whole world yeah. to start saying it's it. You're not even the one I just, that lives in Germany. I took two German words, I smashed them together, smashed and them I got together. everyone using them. That's what Speaking happened. of t- taking two Germans and smashing them together, Pascal Gross is... <laughs> Is he German? Is he be- yeah, is he being smashed? Is his with? parents? His parents? I'm assuming is. I mean, gross with the with the. What do they call the thing? The S set. The S set. It looks very German. I always. And I, I, you always use that word, I don't I? I can't believe S-set. I use S set again. I assume Pascal oh. Gross's parents are German, and they were the people I was smashing together to make okay. Pascal Gross, who uh, has played in a number of different positions. Uh, Jean McKenzie uh, this season just a just just a perfect exemplar of Brighton's fantastic season isn't he yes although he played in a fairly st- actually he did move he did move midway through the game didn't he switched mm. switch, switch position and that's playing. why it's Kaiseido, put it in the play well Caicedo played at right back which I think is probably more he was unusual I would have right gone straight to Caicedo well. but I wasn't sure that his parents were German and I his, didn't his I parents was, almost certainly aren't German well I wanted to smash together two Germans to make a new German okay. So, I feel as though this is the most tortured metaphor we've ever used in a podcast. Probably I can assure you it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Moises Caicedo because he played at right back in this game and did a I good... want to stay on the smashing Germans. Imagine the, uh, what's the, the big tube where they fire protons around? Oh, the Hadron Collider. Yes, they should do yeah. that, but they, they should do it for German players. And Schweinsteiger one way, Philipp Lahm the other. I think that's how they made Erling Haaland. They smashed Alan Shearer into a tube with... Alfinger Holland, presumably. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what they did, yeah. And a bit of Roy Keane's foot in there. Yeah. You know, but that was just stuck in there still, yeah. It's just his DNA um, has that imprinted. God, on. imagine if you put Schweinsteiger and Lahm together. That would be the most aggressive and most technically competent. With AI, I assume time. they'll be able to achieve this. They will be able to. They'll yeah. be able to reverse aging so you can get them both at their peak age. Then yeah. you can smash them together, put robot bits in, faster, stronger, leaner, smarter. Now, listen, we were talking about Pascal Gross. We were talking about Moises Caicedo. Brighton, of course, winning 3-0. We did decide that it was funny. Moises Caicedo uh, played it right back in this game, John McKenzie. Didn't know he could do that. I think he's done it before. but Well, um, I haven't seen it. Last week, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't watch Brighton. I thought this, this was a really interesting game because I thought Brighton did things quite different to the way that they usually do. And I actually think Arsenal played quite well against Brighton yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, I thought they pressed them them pretty well, um, and ended up with this situation where Brighton the best bet they had was was going long, um, and I, I guess you would hope against Brighton's forwards to to be able to match them one v one because what what is what they allowed at the back. Um, mm-hmm. They just ended up being the team who conceded first, and um, I think and I think Brighton were the better were the better team and had the better chances, mm. but I, I think it was a lot more even than than people are making out off the back of the result. Right. I thought um, Brighton have kicked them off the park. It was so aggressive, like they were just not giving them a single second of time yeah. or space. They yeah. played they played man to man out of possession, and uh, you, you know you don't often see teams doing that. Um, a lot of people were talking about Levi Colwell because he was tracking Erdogan all the way up the pitch, um, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting because I felt as though. With any other team, if a, if a, an op- opponent goes man to man in those sorts of situations high up the pitch, the obvious thing to do is to just move them around and generate space for yourself. Uh, but didn't see Arsenal doing much of that, which I suppose maybe raises questions about whether or not Arsenal are too automated in in their build up play mm. uh, to a degree. We talk a lot about flexibility, but the the beauty of going man to man is that you, when you use different shapes in build up. Steve Hankey has quite literally fallen backwards <laughs> off his chair okay. through there. I'm sure, I wonder if podcast listeners would have heard the sound of the thud of his skull hitting the wall there. 
Are I you didn't... sure you're okay? Uh, yeah, but that wasn't good, was it? No. Were you tipping on your chest? You've gone I literally right didn't even lean that far you? back in it. Yeah. Yeah. See, that would have been... I'm annoyed I didn't find that funnier because I was worried he might have actually hurt himself. Well, fainted. Yeah, because sorry. normally someone falling off a chair is very, very funny. Well, back to the subject. Subjectively, what is funny and what isn't? I mean, in this <laughs> sense, like Arsenal players, they haven't hurt themselves. It's equivalent to them falling off a chair backwards, I suppose. Yeah. Without, without the hurting themselves. Without the wall yeah. behind yeah, to yeah. smash the head Only their pride bruised. Without exactly, the initial much head. kind yeah. of, is he okay? Have you held up mark? a finger for him, Don? Can he see <laughs> your thing? Can he see your finger? Doesn't hurt his head, has he? No, I'm fine. I didn't bash my head. Yeah, I and also the lovely black paintwork, though. So. Okay. What's your middle name? Uh, Patrick. Okay. Stephen Patrick Hankey. Stephen Patrick Hankey. Na 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 na. Okay. Should we actually chronicle a workplace accident like that on the podcast? I think we should. SPH. I think we really should. Can I carry on with what I was saying? Of course, I remembered what I was saying. is back in his chair. When you build up in different. Go on. No, it's fine. No, I no, we wanted, we no, wanted, wanted to, to talk about Arsenal. We wanted anyway. to hear it simply because... I don't want to talk about... Football. I don't think they were ready to hear you, so that's why I stopped you. Okay. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> come on. I'm that's not, not me, this. that's I'm JJ. No, come on, seriously. No, you're going to do it. I'm as not going to do it. So when they, I'll, I'll get away from the microphone. So they use different shapes and build up but usually when you use different shapes and build up it's because the opposition use a very specific structure and so you, by using a different shape in your build up what you're attempting to do is is pull that structure around but if the opposition goes player for player if you change system and structure in your build up it doesn't make a difference because the same players are still following the same yeah, man. same markers clearly like Arsenal are really well set up to deal with uh, other teams maybe changing their pressing structures but when they actually go to a man to man system mm. it's much harder to deal with now right. it, you can pull man-to-man systems apart really easily because Leeds used to play man-to-man and they used to get pulled apart really easily. But yeah. in a single game, it's worth a team like Brighton coming up and being like, let's just see how they respond to it. And and and, and I think they did cause Arsenal a few problems in the build-up. But I also think that Arsenal's pressing was really good against Brighton uh, as well. They, they they didn't allow them to build up through the middle, which is what they usually do. And they were only really getting out balls through, through going long. And they were able to force situations where they were able to get good chances, but mm. uh, not in the control way that they usually do it as well. So I thought it was quite a fascinating game game in many respects is this the peak for Brighton how do they how do they get better than this because I mean you know when Graham Potter left halfway through the season Seb everyone expected them to get worse but they <laughs> seem to get better under De Zerbi, who's done a terrific job um, they're flirting around outside of the European position I mean is there a scenario where they can improve upon this or are we looking at watching Brighton next season and feeling like it can only go down well I, I think if you added a dose more efficiency in at the top of the pitch, then you'd have something really interesting. Joe mm. Pedro. Yeah, well, absolutely. Joe Pedro has joined from Watford and he's um, not quite developed yet, but could be a really, really good player. And Deserbi was actually asked about him last week and he sounds very excited about having him there. I suppose almost asking what happens next at Brighton is kind of beside the point because it, that implies that they're in a sort of perpetual state of growth. Yeah. Because in reality, they're built to sort of regenerate and reset. Um, you know, like where you smash an amoeba and it becomes two and then it's three. Yeah. And it's that kind of mentality. For and fans then, is this like, this is the season, or not the season, but this is a season where you're, this is the peak of your success. I, I, mean, I guess is, what I'm saying is, should anybody be expecting them over the next five years to turn into a Champions League side? I think they can be in the top eight over the next couple of years. But I, I think the point really is, think about where Brighton have come from. Think about what it'd yeah. be like to have been one of those people at the Goldstone ground back in the 90s to see them survive potentially dropping out of the Football League uh, by the skin of their teeth to have come all the way up the leagues 
to have gone through the Withdean Stadium and the kind of the, that weird uh, athletics track and the you know the lack of roofs anywhere to be on that journey and to get to a point yesterday where you play Arsenal off their own pitch in that stadium, I feel like uh, as a symbol of what Brighton's regeneration has been, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so yes, they may win a League Cup or they may get into uh, the Champions League or they might go on a Europa League run and go to all kinds of weird and wonderful places and you know um, dent the egos of clubs who have historically been much bigger and more prominent than they are but as a as an experience it's going to be pretty difficult to beat that and yeah. also and I, I think this is might relate a little bit to what we said about Arsenal earlier I think it's really lovely to be one of those teams that people admire so Everywhere you go, if you're a Brighton fan this morning, you know, you meet a stranger, oh, who do you support? Brighton. People are going to say positive stuff, right? I, yeah. I love watching your team. I love watching Matoma and Casado, the great players. And I, your manager's fun and he's aggressive and weird and, and volatile, but also coaches really, really attractive football. I think that's a fun place to be for a fan. I don't think it gets much better than that. Um, and it doesn't last for very long because just being upwardly mobile, eventually you get the kind of, right, get back in your place now because mm -hmm. you just upset a few too many people. Um it's got to be pretty great. I don't. I don't know um, as a fan how it, how you take that to another stage beyond literal footballing development. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be a, a pretty, uh, pretty nice experience after everything they've been through. Mm, well said. Isn't it nice to have said back on the podcast? Yeah. You prick. Mm. Anyway, let's go to a break now, and when we come back, we'll have a brief chat about uh, Ikai Gundogan. Mm? Yeah, what a lovely break. A little titter there, a little titter for the break. Now listen, uh, JJ Bull, Ikai Gundogan. Oh. Ah. Ha. Ah. Ha. Huh? Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Let's talk about uh, Southampton now. Uh, Southampton nil to Fulham. Of course, they were relegated at the weekend. That's why we're uh, discussing them here. Um, but uh, like what you do with anything that's dead, Seb, you carve it up. And you eat it, the flesh and everything, yeah? And the bones and then all the liver, you know, all of the different organs of the thing, whatever it is that's been hit, you know, on the that's on the roadside. I like Gundogan. I think he's really good. He is good, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's brilliant. What yeah. do you think about him? Really important for City. One of their most, like, really important player in the Pep Guardiola era as well. Uh, has scored many goals from this midfield position, helps them can, like, run games with experience. Is quite an intelligent character by all. Mm. A lot of people seem to think he'll be a manager. Uh, when, he's, when he retires he's got the look of a manager yeah he plays football manager a lot as well does he he does yeah which is all you need as we know as we know yes. yeah all and of the organs and the blood and the skin and stuff the skin maybe you would have as a separate you could make crisps out of it I've seen people do that before um, it's an animal it's not a you know not a human being but it's an animal that's been hit by a car on the roadside and maybe you look at it and you think well that that left lung that's been crushed by the impact of the car but that right lung looks like it could score four or five free kicks a season and uh, actually that gallbladder while it does offer no use inside of the body actually uh, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable right back um, now how do you when you're carving it up what do you which bits are you eating well before I do any of that I probably read Jacob Tanswell's excellent article on the last couple of years at yeah. Southampton and any blood in it uh, in a figurative sense, lots of blood. Yeah. A real kind yeah. of, you know, the shining type. A spilling. Yeah, absolutely. Like in, like right in one of those right films where someone gets sliced and then the blood just inexplicably shoots out as though they were a Coke mm. can. No, so the way that, the way that Jacob <laughs> described it was a little bit slower, the, uh, the blood letting. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. the way he describes it is, well, uh, first of all, a whole mess of poor decisions. And 
whilst there are useful components at Southampton and admired players, particularly admired young players, the situation he describes is one where probably there hasn't been quite enough deference to chemistry and mm. kind of what human components you need within a, a football team. Human components. Yeah. And he also describes some fairly um, strange goings on with appointments and uh, some sort of political difficulties in terms of how those appointments and decisions were being made. Oh, I should it's read very, very this. Good, this, very, this, very this good is on read. The Athletic. Yeah, it's a very fine piece of work by Jacob. And it, I think most of us only really woke up to how how bad the Southampton situation was about six months ago, nine months ago. But Jacob describes something which has been in motion for quite a few years now, at least right. traces it back all the way to Ronald Koeman leaving the club. Because the temptation is to think, well, they got rid of Hasenhutl, yeah. who had never really achieved loads. But I mean, yeah. retrospectively, keeping Southampton in the Premier League for uh, that number of seasons is a, is a huge achievement. That, but the temptation is to kind of look at that being the point. But, but Jacob says it, it goes much further back. It goes much further back. And I think a lot of the... One of, one of the things that really jumped out from that article was the amount of good players that they supposedly were interested in but who dallied or decided not to pursue. Mm. Uh, it's a really... I don't want to um, steal Jacob's thunder. Do go and read the piece, but it's um, it's about 10 of them who think, yeah, that would be pretty transformational. Had you done that? But yeah. no. And so when you see something like that, it's a multi-departmental failure. And I think anybody that's watched Southampton would probably yeah. say that that's what that looks like on the pitch. All the organs stop working at once. Well, uh, yeah, because they don't work in concert. Yeah. It's not that necessarily all the organs are useless. Yeah. It's that in this instance, because, well, I mean, I think we all pretty much admire Romeo Lavia. And sure. um, I think Bella Ketchup will, will become a good player at one point. Um, Carl Walker-Peters there. We have James Ward-Prowse as well, of James Ward-Prowse, you'd imagine, will probably leave, yes. Well, but, let's um, let's talk about that now. Yeah. Uh, John, I know you suggested giddily and in a sort of excited way last week that James Ward-Prowse should just go to Brentford. Yeah, I mean, Brentford's set pieces are, are, are great. It would add another string to their bow in terms of being able to produce goals from from those sorts of situations. So that would make a certain amount of sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. You suggested Newcastle. Well, I, had to, I said Brentford. Oh, okay. Me. Yeah, I was going to say. I thought it, it was him. The reason being that... Uh, Did like, you say Newcastle? No, I said that as well. You said, every, you said all of this. I said things. all of this, yeah. And when I was having a conversation with you, I thought I was having a conversation with several people. Yes. And sometimes maybe you were. <laughs> Uh, the be reason being for Brentford is like as John says, like they're the best set piece team in the world, basically. So a set piece coach told me, for example, that um, a lot of when you're building your routines and stuff like that, so a lot of teams want to shoot from twenty five yards, like kind of Beckham shot, because you think that's how you're going to score a goal because you've seen it happen. But it's very rare you actually score from that shot. So if you have a player like James Ward Prowse, your job as a set piece coach is maybe easier because then you can just tell him shoot because you can score the goals. And that's what you guarantee is the same sort of quality of strike all of the time. Um, and there's a guy, uh, was the, the set piece um, kicking coach that I spoke to on a T4YRL video, um, Bartek Silvestrak, who is a, yeah, he's a kicking coach. So he, he's talked about how James Ward-Prowse is like one of the best kickers of the ball he's seen in pure technique. Of a dead ball. Of a dead ball, one you can carve up and eat. And so uh, if you have James Ward-Prowse at Brentford, first of all, you can get, a few more goals a season from 25 yards, as an example, if you were to go there. But also what you could then do is teams are going to set up to try and defend against specifically that, which then gives you loads more options for a set-piece routine from 25 yards if you want to. You also guarantee perfect delivery, near perfect, from corners and uh, your wide areas, like wide deep and uh, wide free kicks. So you can then come up with all sorts of things you want to do because you can guarantee the sort of delivery that you want for that. But then if you think of Newcastle, they might try and see value in 
trying to do the same thing sort of Brentford have done with all their set pieces that they're amazing at it Brentford so Newcastle might try and think well maybe we don't want to spend maybe they can't because FFP spend 150 million pound on players who can get them goals or whatever so instead we'll get uh, a player who guarantee us goals from set pieces rather than actually scoring them himself and that might be why he might be attracted to that sort of club mm, you said Newcastle as well right that's what I just said there yeah were you just talking about Newcastle? I was just talking about Newcastle there, which I said their club name a couple Checked of times. Yeah. I was thinking about Alex Stewart. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's a Southampton fan. I was thinking about when, in Star Wars, what is the point of the Stormtroopers having the armour? Because they get shot. They die with one hit all the time. But then all the other people get shot maybe a couple of times and they're all right. Yeah. I don't understand well, what Well, that's about is. the quality of the character, isn't it? But they would then develop, surely, armour <laughs> that is to withstand the standard laser you would think so but then also you know that the you know the 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 leaders of the imperial army the people who make the clone army what they actually want is for the clones to die in one in one hit because that's best for the film the Mm. worst part of like the plot in the the new star wars is when they just kill off all the jedi like the whole point of the jedi is they're like supposedly really hard to kill no and then they just have a couple of scenes where it's just like yeah we'll just kill let's just get rid of those jedis sam doesn't samuel l jackson go to like to try and get the emperor and and then the emperor just kills like three Jedi's all at once, and they seem surprised. They're like, "Oh shit!" Because the emperor didn't a, expect a, the guy that we think actually might be a bad Jedi, a to, Sith Lord bad guy, yeah, yeah, to be actually dangerous. Well, and he's then, just yeah. I mean, it's a miscalculation, isn't it? And what yeah. they've done in the very last one that they made is they essentially made the whole thing about uh, Rage is trying to kill her granddad. That's basically what the entire nine films is about. I really liked them. The second newest one was great, and the first one, the, the remake of New Hope, was really good. Yeah. But the second one everyone hated was amazing. And I found myself emotionally rubbish. entangled yeah. with the characters. I, I think they're good. I just think there's some holes in the plot. You know, it's like, they kept well, dying. It's like Lord of the, the Rings again. when they did. They, they, there's they, no jeopardy. You could just fly the eagles over and drop the ring in. Come on, like, mate. You know. That's you know. That's not the eagles couldn't. Hey, listen. They did at the end. Though, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the but, but only after. The end, yeah, only after the towers collapsed, mate. It's not like everyone always says that about the eagles. Why don't you just fly the eagles? It's there from the beginning because of the fucking tower. Why can the wizard make a machine gun no, making, to shoot all the people? I'm making yeah. a serious point now. I'm actually <laughs> making a serious yeah. point about Lord of the Rings because the eye of S- S- Sauron so is there. The most sensible Frodo way. drops the ring. The most sensible into the way of destroying the ring is to get the hobbits to trek through it's, it's not about what's the most sensible it's, 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 it's the idea that the eagles could have just flown there in the first place when when there's no there's no the, the defences were crippled the eye of Sauron collapses as soon as the ring is dropped into Mount Doom right and then the eagles fly in so it's it, it, at the very least you're a curious all man all I'm saying no, is hold on just you're a your curious man eagle. hold on hold your on you, hold eagle. on hold on you're a curious man. Would you not like to think that maybe the Eye of Sauron did something to keep to keep the no, eagles I'm, out? I'm, I'm sure it. I'm sure it did. I think but it did too. Equally, they didn't try the eagles. Equally. I'd have tried the eagles, and then you know you send in an eagle with a fake ring, and they then you're like, oh, those didn't films, work. You can't please anyone, can you? Well, they would have been rubbish, but it would have been more three, effective. Three of the greatest films of all time. If they had like yeah. a Land Rover, they could have just driven all the way there really quickly. That's true. I mean, especially a Land Rover from a Land Rover advert because they can get everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> not like a real Land Rover. Imagine an Land Rover actually can't Land get everywhere. I want to remake this. Mountain and then yeah. Frodo Baggins gets out the top. <laughs> I want to remake this, and they've got a Land Rover and they've they've stuck like a machine gun on top of it, and then they're just going around and they deliver the ring that way. Yeah, Rambo of the ring. At what point do we? end up where adverts are just entire films and actually the Lord of the Rings just well, becomes the Lord of the, the, the Land, Land Rover, Rover of the yeah. Rings yeah, and, it's just, and that's it and the, the whole Land thing Rover is just a rings. massive product placement could it drive up the, the hill that the Sauron eye Mount is in? Doom. no but you've got to remember that the eye is really important the eye's right? in the tower yeah, yeah the eye's in the tower have you read man. the books? I have okay well there you go 
you make so, a good um, point. I accept the argument. So who else do you think is going to go down with Southampton? With Southampton? Yeah. Or with Sauron? <laughs> with Sa- okay, we're back to relegation scrap time. Now, it's very important for us to reference at this moment in time that the Eagles couldn't get... No, that uh, Leicester are playing Liverpool. The Eagles are actually safe in the table right now, <laughs> yeah, I believe. That's true. Um, <laughs> that's very true. They're not even appearing in our relegation scrap area of the table. Leicester City are playing this evening against Liverpool. This podcast will be out after that, but we don't know the result. You will do. So this may change what we're thinking here. Um, but uh, Southampton already relegated. And as we all know, it is two of Leicester, Leeds, Everton, Forest. Now, we talked about Man City a little bit before. We didn't talk about Everton in that game. I thought Everton were quite, were quite good up until the first Man City goal. And then there were two in quick succession and it became a, a different sort of experience for them. But I watched them in the first 30 minutes and thought, well, that's a, that's a team that might avoid relegation. Yeah, counter-attack was good. A couple of nice set pieces, defended pretty well. I feel like a lot of that was the intensity at which they were able to play, which wasn't sustainable. And also psychologically, when you concede the first Gunhuan goal, that's quite demoralizing because it's just so yeah. good. And the second one comes so quickly and it's so close to halftime that given that you're probably, if you're an Everton player at the moment, I think Sean Dyche even referenced this post-game, he talked about the games they have after this one. And I think maybe it became a little bit future looking after yes. that point. And that's fine. But they played well. I feel like, I feel like, okay, so they went in at 2-0 down, the game was over, but I felt better about Everton's chances of surviving after watching that half, even though they were losing. Well, I thought they were pretty good. Next up, they're away at Wolves and yeah. then they're at home to Bournemouth. Yeah, I think they'll win both of those. They Okay. I To me, it's kind of, clearly they're not very far down there. Sean Dyche, journey pathway motorway yeah dual carriageway whatever the the, the, the dice deal they haven't been on the the dice journey for very long yeah it's probably what i should have said and yet you see the semblance of organization already and you see kind of some basic principles of his football emerging well the importance and of dwight mcneil dwight mcneil's yeah. had a little bit of renaissance i, I feel like uh the has played really well over the last couple of weeks yeah he's become the player he he was for about 18 months at Watford. Absolutely. He, he looks, looks like excellent. Sean Dyche has said to him, you need to run more than everybody else. You need to come off the pitch yeah, and fall over. He He's definitely doing that, but he also, he has these little moments of quality. I know it wasn't this weekend, mm. but his second goal uh, against Brighton was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And he's such he's a... a smart player. Yeah, he, he, he does so many things well. And that's the kind of player that they bought. The, yeah. A very, very complete midfielder, a very complete eight. And he's, um, he's playing that way, which is a big part of why they're... Well, they haven't really moved up the table, but... I think the mood has changed around Everton. I Agreed. think he probably put Leeds and Leicester ahead of them in the relegation stakes. Yes. Well, Leeds got a, got a point at the weekend, John, didn't they? Uh, and to come, they're away to West Ham. And of course, they're at home to Spurs. A little bit harder than Everton's games. It's it's impossible to really judge. I think Le- Leeds are a little bit of a, an outsider in this, in this battle, I think, because um, we've got a new manager. We're playing... Very low percentage football, I think. So it's sit deep, try and hit the opposition on the break. And in the the game against Newcastle, a lot of people saying, obviously, really good result to get to get um, a two two draw with Newcastle. But um, in many respects, I, it, it, it's sort of complexified by the fact that what we did in that well in that game is stop Newcastle from being dangerous. Yeah. Having said that, we still allowed them to score two goals, and it was unlikely, I well, think, that we would have scored two goals, and yet we we, we did. Yeah. Um, junior, we had, junior Firpo allowed them to score two goals, I think. Well, I don't yeah. want to single him out. But. No, 
but I he think did it, have a bad tricky game. afternoon. <laughs> the the overall <laughs> approach of that game is sit deep, try and hit them on the break, and, and get get situations. There's probably yeah. five five or so situations where Leeds managed to get into their box, and we managed to score two goals. Now that's yeah. that's a that's a return of investment that is a, a lot higher than you would expect to happen. So going yes. for you would look at that kind of game and say, okay, look two 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 draw with Newcastle, really good Both foundation goals, penalties. Uh, really good yeah really good foundation to go into the next game and and get something out, out of a team like West Ham who are focusing yeah. more on the conference league but I also kind of think that when you play that style of football where you sit deep and you have to make the most of you know very few handful of chances that you're going to generate yeah you're just at the bet you're that you're at the behest of your team actually finishing those chances and it, yeah you know in another world against Newcastle the ball doesn't get palmed out perfectly to Luke Ayling or you know, Joel well, Linton realizes or that Patrick Bamford scores his penalty. No, of course, and, of course, uh, and Newcastle don't go down the other end. But we're talking about analysis here. Right? We're talking about the analysis, and when you ana- you analyze that game, it's very hard to say, you know, what should have should or shouldn't have happened yeah. uh, on the basis of of, of the uh, chances because it's it is so chaotic backwards and forwards. Yeah. And the problem I think is is that you you usually want to look at a game and say on the basis of the way this game went, we can say this about the next game. Yeah. And I don't think you can do that so so well with with Lee because I could, I could see us winning both of the next games. I could see us yeah, losing both. I of the next I think that's games. really true. Interesting that you apply such nuanced analysis to football, and yet when it comes to eagles, <laughs> you Look, are all such I'm saying a is, dick. Like, I, I just think they should have tried with an eagle first. You know, a decoy <sighs> eagle. Nottingham Forest also got a point over the weekend there, JJ Bull. And uh, games to come for Nottingham Forest are as follows: they are at home to Arsenal on Saturday. And in the final uh, weekday, they are away to Crystal Palace. Those are two toughies. Yeah, the last game of the season is really interesting because you've got a lot of teams who will be battling against each other. I think West Ham play... Who are they playing? Uh, West Ham-Leicester. That's a big game uh, on the last game of the season. Leeds uh, have Spurs yeah. in the last game. Everton-Bournemouth. It's obviously Bournemouth now safe, so that's a big one for Everton. It'll be, that'll be a really fun last day of the season, seeing what all happens I there. think it will, won't it? I mean, Nottingham Forest are three points ahead of Leeds currently. It feels like... This week's yes. result was very good for them. Do I think you, you can tell you how good a they... team is sort of from their goal difference. I, I know it's not ideal, but Forest have a minus 31 goal difference. Um, That's worse than everyone apart from Southampton. Southampton and Bournemouth, who have a slightly worse one as well. But Bournemouth have managed. I think they, had, they got a few batterings, Bournemouth. But they, they, well, they famously lost 9-0. So that's mostly what it is. Yeah, there you go. So um, Forest have done really well to get where they are. I, I mean, I, I, don't know. I, I don't know. I think Steve Cooper's done amazingly well. Given what he's... Gel in that squad is so hard to do. It doesn't... I, I'm happy to be correct. It doesn't feel like he has an awful lot of authority about who's come in. And players have I just... I expect he didn't ask for 21 players. No, you'd imagined not. And these players have come in. <coughs> many of them did not have any prior relationship with each other. And they have been able to survive and... Uh, well, not being able to survive. They, they look like they're primed to survive. Yeah. Really good point at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Mm. Incidentally, I was... Um, I was at our, our friend Nick Miller's wedding on Saturday. Oh. And Nick is from a Nick is a Forest fan. Congratulations to Congratulations the Miller. Congratulations to to Miller the Keller. Mm. Um, he also uh, he's from family of Forest fans. And so, Miller the Marrier. Miller the Marrier. Um, and after the ceremony, when we were waiting for the reception, it was kind of the second half of Forest Chelsea. Right. And there were about ten people, kind of looking at the phones, waiting for the, the time to tick down. But it was okay because they were all family members and it was all right. Nick was there himself. And yeah, yeah it was... That uh, makes me think of... Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the film The Other Guys with Will Ferrell not. and John C. Riley. But no. There's a, a very funny scene during a funeral 
uh, where there's a huddle. It's not John C. Reilly. A huddle of suited men, uh, and then two of them are fighting in the middle, and they're all whispering and cheer whispering and doing trying to do a, a fight as quietly as possible so as not to disrupt the uh, the events of the funeral. Yeah, the other guys is Mark Wahlberg hmm? and Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah, it's not John C. Reilly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mark Wahlberg did a good job. Imagine that film, though, but with eagles. With eagles. I, I, I'm going to use my talons <laughs> to slice open your carotid artery. We'll see how much gush there is. Yeah, I think with you, it'll just ooze. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Very okay. cold-blooded. Now, let's, that's the relegation. You know, who cares? We'll have a, another break now, and when we come back, we'll talk about whether Sergio Busquets is a rat. <laughs> Okay, we're back from a break. We've assessed Steve Hankey's injuries. He'll never make love again. <laughs> <laughs> he fell on his cock. <laughs> I love how this was the better of the two yeah. takes that we've done so far. Okay, I'll so. do another one. I'll do another one, yeah. And we're back! Sergio Busquets, who's leaving Barcelona. That's correct. Yeah. Not retiring. He'll probably end up playing in Saudi Arabia, something like that. Yeah. He has been one of the most important players in the club's history. He was part of, like, Guardiola took him from the B team when he took over, uh, put him in the first team, and you had that uh, that trio that was amazing of Iniesta, Xavi, and Busquets. Busquets, obviously, the six, holding it all together. One of the best I've ever seen in that position. Uh, he's he was so important to what they do. He does things like, he, it might not show up in the data, but he does things where he, you can surround him with four players alternate pressing at the same time and he'll find the exact only way to get out of that little cul-de-sac and, and then bridge everything together. It doesn't go forward too much, really slow, uh, it can be quite weaselly, rolls around a lot, pretends to be injured when he's not, uh, but does well, the dark the arts well. I mean, is he going to be remembered, Seb, for, for being everything JJ just said or, or do you think he'll be primarily remembered by opposition fans as, a, you know... As a dark arts expert, I think it's the whole lot, Joe. The I whole think, package, yeah. Because of that the dark arts were part of his game, and I think a lot of people will remember his, as well as many other people's, a player's roles in that series of games with Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid. But then, when I think of Busquets, I probably think of him outside of the kind of awful tenor of those matches, and think about like his disguised passing. So. One of the things I used to love about him, and this is something you could probably miss unless you, you actually look for it, is there's a there's a line of pressing players in his face and he just made that kind of knifing pass through the middle of the pitch to someone, probably usually an Iniesta type or an overlapping fullback. Uh, he made it look so easy. And you had this really interesting contrast between quite a big guy, like a um, different body shape to Xavi and Iniesta, obviously, and to Messi. and, and Tall. To, well, yeah, probably just different to what you'd expect from that type of football. Like, mm. you, you have a, an archetype within there, right? And within the middle of it, you had this sort of, not hulking big guy, but he was a bit loomy, he was a bit physical. Yeah. And he was, uh, he, he looked like he belonged in English football rather than in Guardiola's Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, just Which is interesting because Guardiola now using Rodri, a very tall player, exactly. got like a back five yeah. of all big centre-backs, whether intentional or not, it's what he's ended up with. And Busquets plays the Guardiola role. It's the exact same thing. So important in that Barcelona yeah, team. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's actually why it's so easy to, to miss the contribution of someone like that and Rodri is because you've got you've got these players which naturally attract attention. So at Barcelona, obviously Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, that lot. Uh, at Manchester City, you're probably not paying attention to Rodri as much as you are um, 
Holland or Gundogan in this instance, um, Grealish, players like that, David Silva beforehand. Like these are these are what you associate Guardiola with, the kind of the, the technical types and the kind of the players with all the creative flourishes, but none of it really works without them. Um, probably not a coincidence that this season, for instance, Rodri has been playing brilliantly, actually voted from Football of the Year, and Man City closer than ever before to completing their treble. But Busquets is marvellous player. Like, no, when you really... voted for Footballer of the Year, yeah. did you write it on a piece of paper and pop it out the window, or what did you? No, you get code. So the Football Writers Association sent you through a voting code, mm. and then you go to their website and you get a vote for the men's award, the women's award, yeah. and you um, you enter your code, and you enter your names, and then you submit. And and you get that because you are a valued member of the community. I am special. Yes. Yeah, but do you get that? And yeah. did you get that? I do, does, but yeah. I've specifically signed up so I'd be able to vote in it and I've forgotten to do it every year right, since I joined. Right. So you are you not a real... I can't write, so... You can't write. I don't, I'm yeah. not a member of the writers. He yeah. fell off his chair once hosting a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a talkers one? Because I'd like to vote for one. No? Talkers who who would you vote for? I would have voted for John Stones. John Stones. Mm. Interesting. He tried to lobby me. I was in the office when I was doing my vote and he was kind of... He tried to lobby me. for your vote? Yeah, no, he Did was he trying really? to influence. He just kept shouting John Stones at me across the yeah. office. Whispering. Yeah. Did very he throw any stones? No, he didn't, but verbally he did. Yeah. I thought it was interesting this year because if uh, Arsenal had gone on to win the title, if they were winning a few weeks ago, then you would have thought, like, I thought Bukayo Saka would be right mm. up there, like goals and assists, tallies. He's been carrying the team yeah. and Odegaard. Yeah. So that's the two goals from yeah. the central midfield. That's it. So I thought, like, those two, I was thinking, it's definitely one of those two. I can't choose which one it is. And I thought, well, it's obviously Erling Holland. It's obviously him. But it seems yeah. so obvious that you don't want to do it. But you have to to make sure it doesn't get I it. I think you kind of have to. I mean, I appreciate, of course, Rodri. Wow. Fantastic player. Erling Holland, though, has scored 50 goals. I mean, he's sort of, hasn't he kind of changed? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I voted, I knew that Erling Holland was going to win it. And. I, th- I remember yeah. thinking. I think. Oh, I said, it's like the Oscars. This people, and then the, what happens? Some years is that no, it's the like one Brexit. everyone knows no, that's going to win <laughs> doesn't win because everyone thinks, well, yeah, of course that film's going to win. So I, I'll go for something slightly different instead. It's more. It's like a, it's actually a bit of a selfish pursuit in the sense that I like to think about it. Like I like to. I don't. I wasn't trying to be intentionally contrary. I just sure. You I, take your position seriously. Yeah, well, because I, I I always wanted to be a member of the FWA and you know it was, the it was, Football Writers yeah, Association. Of course. Like and and so you get the vote and you think you take it seriously. And also, yeah. I remember it was about six weeks ago that I started. Um, uh, ashamed to say it, but I kind of woke up to just how good Rodri actually is. Like I always mm. knew he was a good player, but I can't remember the game or who the opposition were. But I remember yeah. watching him thinking, ugh. You know, fantastic. I now believe in Seb's world you. as well that he would literally have woken up and yeah. just woke up and be like, Rodri. Oh my God. And that's what I said, Rodri. It's the sort of thing that yeah. he would do. Now, are you, does this mean you're writing with a pen and paper? Uh, with a keyboard. So are you not part of the F- Football Typing Association? Uh, I believe that that's a splinter organisation. Just, you know, it, the, the FWA is like a, a kind of umbrella. Talking, yeah. writing, scribbling, keyboard. Yeah. Well, you must just hate me then. But I mean, yeah. You could sign that very easily. They would have you in. No, they would like love the to have you. But they have me in. Yeah. No. I don't write anything. You're part of the football media world. Yeah, but not in a written sense. Yeah, but there are lots of people that you... So every year... They They've got to... to change their name. Who would you have voted for? Who would I have voted for? Yeah. <laughs> this is why you can't be invited, <laughs> you see. A fo- do I need to vote for a footballer? I mean, just who do you think has had the biggest impact on the season so far? Erling Holland. There you go. That's fine. Go for it. Well, I'm not. I'm not a, a member. Normie, isn't it? But Fred, 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 Fridge. Yeah, Fridge, Fridge. 
Moving on now, time to discuss uh, a quick look back at the Champions... Well, it's not look back because it was such a long time ago, but let's look ahead to the Champions League second round semi-finals of the, the legs, that second of the legs there. Real Madrid won, one man City, and of course Milan nil 2 Inter. That was a, off to a strange start, that game there, didn't it? Now, uh, Tuesday, it's the Milan derby. Seb, you watched and live-blogged the first game of this I mean, is there any chance for Milan to come back? I don't think so. There's a chance, but I don't think that uh, whilst they can probably score a couple of goals, I don't think they keep a clean sheet against that Inter Milan front two mm. with Lukaku on the bench yeah. to come on and supplement the counter-attack. I thought Jacko and Martinez were just brilliant in the first leg, particularly yeah. the first half where the, there was um, uh, Liam, one of the tactics writers at The Athletic, sent me a, a quote from Edin Dzeko when he was talking about, sorry, from Martinez where he was talking about his relationship with Jacko on the pitch and he talked about how they're always watching each other. They're always reacting to what what one another is doing. And it's not kind of a predetermined partnership in the sort of the Shearer Sheringham sense or, mm. you know, and that AC Milan defense uh, showed no signs of being able to deal with it. I no. mean, they, they could have been three down at halftime. Yeah, um, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, John, yeah. we got we got some flack last week for saying this would be a snore fest. Um, and you said it largely was apart from the two goals. <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, <laughs> it depends what you enjoy in football. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was quite an, Goals, en- an enjoyable fun. tactical <laughs> game. Yeah, um, I think I think we, underlying uh, it, it, numbers. I think we uh, it, it suggested that it was going to be a low scoring game. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, Milan, I think, got their approach really wrong in, in, in the game. And that's why they were absolutely run over in the first 15 minutes of the game. Mm. Um, but then I think by dint of the fact that they maybe changed things up, by dint of the fact that Milan were in a situation where they were in control and two goals up, uh, it meant that they, they they took the foot off the gas a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really, really impressive from from Inter. I thought um, they did a really good job of actually uh, um, approach. One of the one of the things a lot of teams do in out of possession play at the moment is they'll match up player for player in the midfield area. Mm. Um, so we've just talked about Arsenal and um, Brighton going man for man against Arsenal. Um, Milan were doing the same against Inter in in that game, and what Inter were really good at was just moving players around to create passing lanes into the into the forwards, mm-hmm. um, and that was what really gave them um, the upside at the beginning of of, of the game. Um, and yeah, it was it was enough for them to to look pretty comfortable. But yeah, it's an interesting one looking forward because it's it's only it's only two goal lead going into sure. second half. The difficult thing is going to be is that you can play off the back of that in the way that they played for the rest of the game, which was we can sit deeper, we don't need to be too aggressive in possession they've got to try and break us down to get the goals and if they push forward and leave weaknesses then we can exploit yeah. them and I think that's that's pretty much kryptonite to well, is, AC Milan is Raphael is he back for the yeah he I think he will be back okay. um but even still I think once you are in that situation where you've got the two goals and you know that you can just double up on that side and make it hard for for him in particular um we've seen in the last few weeks Milan haven't been good enough to because all teams do this when when Leao yeah. is playing, um, but Milan really haven't been good enough at exploiting the weaknesses that opens up on other sides of the of, sure, other sure, sides sure, of the pitch. Sure, so sure. yeah, I, I think it's definitely advantage Inter. Um, yeah, but yeah, okay, who knows? Okay, Real Madrid uh, won one Man City. Uh, uh, KDB, the big boy, uh, coming in JJ Bull with a fantastic goal um, last week. It seems as though it's it's all sort of. Uh, perched for Man City to progress. Would you agree? Uh, I don't think it's as clean and clear as that. I think it's really complicated. Real Madrid are one of the, this is one of the best European teams of all time. The, the last remnants of it now, you've got Benzema, Modric, Kroos, and I think Danny Carvial is the one that's left over. You could say Courtois has been there for a bit of it as well. So it's 
maybe coming towards the end of that domination they've had over Europe just by way of having amazing players who can do these sorts of things. And they find a way to get through. John did a really good video on Tifo IRL. You can watch it on YouTube about how Real Madrid keep getting away with this by the, was it relationism versus positional play? And the way they play is, um, John will explain it better than I will, but uh, that's a really good video to watch and find out more about this sort of thing. City at home will have, this is the advantage they've got is being at home so they can then play the way they want to rather than playing away at the Bernabeu when you're um, playing one of the best teams ever. You have to be really careful with them just waiting for you for the one, like it's even like they lure you in, like they act as though they're not good so then you sort of stop playing as well as you can in the first 20 minutes and then they pop up with something. Yeah, and You've yeah, seen yeah. it the last few years in a row, it's really odd. Listen, guys, all I'll say is that I believe last week I said it would be 1-1 in the first leg and then City would win like 4-0 in the second leg. And I, I could I see that too. To it. Yeah, I, I could see that to too. That's the thing, I really can't predict it at all because it could be that Real win it and then City just can't deal with the, the pressure. But I think because City have come so close over time, you know, they lost the finals last year, wasn't it? Or a year before? I can't remember. Rest in the semis last year. Semis yeah, last year. Before. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, to be able to, to win this uh, competition, they've taken, like, a step closer each time. So, like, the entire psychology of the club will change. So, you know that you sort of belong in that world now, whereas before they were nowhere near it. And obviously, their circumstances have changed dramatically with all money and stuff. But now they're just getting ever so closer to it. And once they start to get that, get their first European trophy, you'd think it would be this year. you think it would be. Um, and then that'll be them established as one of those big clubs. And then they'll probably have more over time. When Guardiola's still there. Ah, no. indeed. Could it be the treble? Now, finally, before we uh, we head off, uh, National League playoff there, John. Uh, you went to visit this, didn't you? you? This is what you were buying tickets for during last week's podcast. Chesterfield 2, Notts County 2. But I believe Notts County are through on penalties. Yes. Well, yeah. one. One. And they are promoted because of penalties. They, they are through they're to the through, next league. Through to the next league, That's yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this was, look, this was the most stre- stressful couple of games. Are Wrexham involved to... in this conversation? Wrexham, why, why are we Wrexham talking promoted about it? That's a joke about the National League, because if they weren't, you know, we wouldn't talk about it, you know, because yeah. they're the only interesting but team. In the... Wrexham are automatically promoted. They went up There's before. only one space. Therefore, the, then yeah. there's all the other and yeah, yeah the six teams who play in a playoff and this was the final of that of that process and it was a very stressful for fans of Notts County because oh. in uh, around I don't know what it was it ended up being around 400 minutes of football they yeah. they were only leading for 30 seconds um, well I can tell you that uh, Chesterfield scored in the fifth minute through a penalty mm-hmm. Notts County tidied up 1-1 87 minutes <laughs> that's already scary then uh, Chesterfield scored in the 93rd minute, so presumably the beginning of additional time. A- yeah. extra time. And uh, Notts County tied it up again over over 15 minutes later. Yeah? Yes. Real very clutch, clutch the... Uh, and then John Bostock missed it? the winning penalty by penenkeing it onto the bar. There was lots of things that happened. So in the first yeah. minute of the game, the... The Notts County keeper took a goal kick and basically dribbled it out. <laughs> but he, that was it, weird. Was, it was that so was odd. Weird. So there was there was a defender in the box, and the the, the keeper took it. He sort of like passed it forward, I think, expecting the the defender to run onto it, but he didn't. The, the defender didn't run onto it, and then the other. Chesterfield player was running towards him so he just had to run forward and kick it which meant that in the first minute of the game they had an indirect free kick in the box <laughs> where essentially all you need to do is just lay it off and then someone yeets it at the goal to see yeah. it and everyone everyone from Notts County is on the goal line to try and just block this and they'd all just run out so that was stressful right. the keeper then clears uh, the striker out 
on the edge of the box for the penalty at five minutes and you're thinking dear me what's going wasn't on here wasn't a great goalkeeper day though was no it, it wasn't because the Bostock uh, late late equaliser in the in normal time was from a free kick where he basically just sort of kicked it roughly at the keeper and the keeper flapped flapped at it <laughs> and it went in um, and then there was more goalkeeper shenanigans because their Notts County actually subbed their goalkeeper for the penalties and they brought yeah. on this kid called Archie Mayer who had two of the best penalty saves I think I've seen live. Oh, um, yeah. The wow. second one in particular just the sort of splits in the air to they they, they, to they Tim crawled him they just yeah. brought him on specifically right, for yeah. wow Shrani and then Uzi as you say made one like that, that in the 2008 European Championship it's exactly the same quality right, with, yeah. the, with the foot and hand and you can't quite tell which one it is yeah. it's, it's amazing if anyone hasn't seen it Archie Mayer is from near where I'm from <laughs> is that right yeah he's very they make tall. them all, he's, all sorts he's from Tariff from Tara. Is that Ian Aberdeen? It's Aberdeenshire. It's uh, a few miles from my house. Yeah. He, uh, he's basically JJ. He's an Aberdeen youth JJ player. basically won. Yeah. Do you know, I, I, know this, I just checked yeah. it now. I didn't realise he was from there. So I was thinking, Archie, I know that name. But I don't know why. It's because he was always in the youth teams and like foot manager or something like that. And my right. friend who works at the club told me that this boy is really special and he signed for Norwich when he was really young. Yeah. Um, What's it like yeah. to be proud of where you're from? Uh, I, I, I like it. I like yeah, it. I like where I'm from. Yeah, I love a little village. It's, it's nice. All the people, because you sort of in the village, I guess everyone knows what you're up to. What is it? Are you rooting for the other people that live proximal to you? I don't know. That's a, this is a good question. I'm trying to think what it is. Some of my like close friends grew up like next door to me, basically. Right. Like Jack lived up the road. Yeah. A few doors up. Because I hate England. <laughs> I left England. It's really weird, isn't it? How you can live. What's weird? If you live in London and you support one club, you can really hate someone who lives in the same city. The same city support a different and club. a different club. It's all categorizations, isn't it? What's your main category of of what? I, of anything? Like, is it is it this? Hello, interestingness. <laughs> interestingness. Yeah. As in, you find other things interesting, or no, I think it's more important to be interesting than be to be correct, isn't it? Do you not think? What is it in a kind of print the myth way? you can talk to someone who is always right about everything and it can be boring, right? But yeah. you can speak to someone who's always wrong about something and it's interesting and I'd much rather be in those conversations. Why? Okay, that seems like the opposite of you, though. You seem like you're always right about everything. Well, you never want to hear my UFO stories. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's, but they, they're are correct. Very, they are very correct, boring. JJ. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course, yes. That makes sense, though. <laughs> Listen, one more thing we should, uh, we should do here, John McKenzie. We should say thank you to our new best friend. Our buddy. He said we're the best people and wants to be friends with us forever mm, and I go to our funerals. So. Uh, his name, Metzenoris. He's a, a professional Rocket League player who oh, listens wow. to the podcast and who caught up with John McKenzie and we played with him on Rocket League the other day. And It's uh, quite good. Yeah, he beat us at the game of Rocket League. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> was, like quite a significant there was one play. of him and three of us. And he beat us in all the games. And we you played. play this every single night, every day, for yeah. hours. Well, I mean, you made it sound like a really, really long time. How long does he play for a day? Yeah. How, does he train? If you're he, a he said he player? had. Did he say he had ten thousand hours in the game, or twenty? Twenty. No. So third, for, for third, the record, for, for reference, uh, I've played Rocket League since the pandemic, like that, about six months after, six months of the way through 2020, maybe. You've, you've played more or less every night as well. I, I would say I would play at least four evenings a week, yeah, yeah and yeah. mostly for like two hours in right, each of okay. those sessions. So let's just say I'm playing for an average of eight to ten hours a week, right? Okay. 
I've only just reached a thousand hours and I've been playing the game for three years. So I imagine the guy's been, wow. it's treating it like a job because it quite literally a is a, it is a yep. job for him. Um, but it was crazy to play against him. It really gave you an appreciation of um, how shit you are. <laughs> it was great. It was like, uh, it was like you know, I don't know, looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, you look pretty good today. And then Brad Pitt walks in the bathroom yeah. and then you go, oh. Mm. Yeah, Brad Pitt from Fight Club. Brad, Brad, Brad Pitt is a very '90s sort of reference there. Well, I'm a very '90s sort of guy. Yeah, which is another reason why we have to end the podcast. That's the end of the of the TiVo football podcast. There wasn't it nice to have Seb Stafford here and uh, Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Oh, we're in the outro now, are we? Yeah, we're saying goodbye. Okay. Yeah, we've well, still got, we yes, still got to do the yeah. intro. We oh, haven't recorded that yet, so just say goodbye quickly. Goodbye. And JJ Bull the Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll be back next week with more. But until then, uh, goodbye. Athletic.